Welcome to the KDB Review Podcast. I'm Andy Davis and this is episode 16 of season 3. Today we're going somewhere we've been before in this podcast, somewhere that is as mysterious and perplexing as it is fascinating and vital, and that's inside the customer's brain. We welcome back retail psychologist Philip Adcock to talk about your showroom and how propping and dressing and other small changes can all nudge your customers in the direction you want them to go. It's all so interesting and insightful, and I promise it's one of those discussions where at least once you'll go, ooh, that's clever, I never thought of that. But first... We're just two weeks away from the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021 in Liverpool. It's the biggest industry gathering in 18 months, and if you haven't got your ticket yet, then time is running out. We're down to the last few seats, so if you want to make sure you don't miss out, then you need to book now. Go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards to get all the info. We're going to talk retail psychology again now with the return of Friend of the Pod, behavioural science expert and all-round retail consultant guru, Philip Adcock. Hello, Philip. Hello there. How are you, Andrew? Uh, Very well, thank you. A bit of a croaky throat today, but uh, I'm very well. Now, the reason I've got you back on is because the episode we did uh, some time back is actually one of the top episodes that we've done. So there's clearly a lot of interest uh, in this area. So I thought it might be worth bringing you back on to talk a bit more about some very specific areas. Now, in particular today, I want to talk about showrooms and how from a retail psychology point of view retailers should dress and prop those sets and create a a narrative journey around the showroom to lead customers through these are clearly showrooms with loads of dwell time and really considered discussions with staff this isn't shelves of products but i'm guessing uh, the underlying psychology of this is the same as a supermarket packed full of shelves Absolutely. It's broader than that. You're dealing with human beings. So the start point I always say to people is, what are you selling? Yes, you're selling kitchens, but you're not selling units, cornice, light carpet. You're selling the heart of the home, and that's emotional. So having a cold, unpropped showroom with things just cluttered up and dirty, that's not like somebody wants their kitchen. That's not what they want to aspire their kitchen to be. So they need to be able to imagine the kitchen in their house. Uh, the more you can bring it to life, the better. I, I've got a great example from all things TVs uh, in that there was a, a very large um, electrical showroom, quite a famous one in the UK, and they were selling lots of 4K TVs. And as you'll have seen in uh, these stores, all the TVs are on showing how good they are. And it happened to be mid-afternoon and every single TV in this out-of-town warehouse was showing a black and white film from the 1940s. <laughs> So, it, you know, it, it, I can't simplify this enough. You need to understand what the shopper is not just seeing. We'll come on to multi-sensory a bit later. But what they're experiencing in your showroom. Yeah, it's, I say it's so interesting, this, to me. And, and again, while this, it's very hard to describe these showrooms as shops, but fundamentally, that is what they are. And I have this vision, really, of a, a, a customer, a husband and wife, for example, walking up to the front door, opening the door, and stepping inside. So how do you, at that moment create that emotional impact with them how do you create the journey the moment they come through the door there, there really is 101 things you can do but let's try and take it on a sort of a bit of a process the first thing to do and this is quite a simple thing is you understand what we call in psychology processing fluency so what that means is the easier it is to think about something the more your brain likes it because our brains are lazy they can't help it so taking for example your store entrance your store door 
If it's got no pets, no sandwiches, no thieves, no this, no that, you're giving potential shoppers a big no in their face as they walk towards your door, which says don't buy anything. So try and make the door positive and a really tiny thing, but it's, again, it's just marginal gains. All these little things work when you combine them. 90% of people in the UK and the rest of the world are right-handed. So if you've got your normal door, two doors to show, the right-hand door should open inwards so that somebody with the right hand pushes on the door and it opens. If you get to a door and you have to pull it with your left hand, it's just all backwards. I know that's right-hand push for the person unlocking in the morning, but that's the wrong way around. So my first point is make it get e getting into the store easy. And then I, I'd sort of say, start to understand what we call the see, appeal, engage, and buy model. And what that is, is all the things in your store will have a, an influence on shoppers. Some of those things will be for getting attention, that's C. Some of those things will be for making that attention more appealing, so that this set's more appealing. Then you want people to engage with certain sets, and obviously in the end you want them to buy them. So already you've got parameters to work in. If you look at the standard anything, a set, um, a message, a sign, what's it doing? Is it C, appeal, engage, or buy? It can't do them all. It just can't, because people walk too fast. When people come in from the, the outside, it takes about 20 seconds for our eyes to accustom to a different light. So what you've got in the first, let's say, 10 seconds in your showroom, often shoppers can't see because they're, in inverted commas, a bit blind because their eyes are still adjusting. We have this thing called foveal and parafoveal vision. Sorry if that sounds too technical, but what it means is parafoveal vision is your peripheral vision. That's all the stuff that's going on around you that your, your brain is paying attention to, looking for fights, mates and meals, but you're not actually looking at it. You're not using mental energy looking at it. Your foveal vision is the bit you look at in the middle. So if you think of walking into a showroom, the hanging signs and the floor graphics, if you've got some, are in your peripheral vision. And your peripheral vision can only see in black and white, only sees blurred, and can't read. So if you've got hanging signs, frankly, in stores, they don't do any good. And I've got more research than you can shake a stick on that proves that. Same with floor graphics and words on They don't work. You use the hanging sign area and the floor area to create the emotional scene that then starts to see, appeal, engage, and buy model. Then you can focus people on specific aspects to sell them a kitchen. I mean, a lot of these guys, they want the customers to sort of go around the showroom in a certain order. They want them to turn left rather than right, in other words, when they come through. They want them to go and see these room sets that obviously they all are, these showrooms are made up of, in an order that tells a, a story. So what is the best way at that moment to make them go the way you want them to go? Is it just a big arrow or is that just far too sort of blunt? No, it's not too blunt. If you look at a famous Swedish store, they have arrows on the floor and they have the arrows projected from the ceiling on very expensive what they call gobo units, and people follow the arrows. I have done tests myself in stores where we had, again, it was an electrical store, actually, and we had um, grey carpet all over the floor, and we put a small, subtle arrow, about 150 mil wide by about 300 mil long, into one of the hi-fi aisles. And then we just watched people on a Sunday, and 56% of the people going down the main aisle turned left into this aisle, looked up, that what am I doing here, turned around and went out. The, the, fact, the psychological fact is we are conditioned in life to follow lines on the ground. If you go to hospital, there's the green line for one clinic, the blue line for another one, the red for another. We all, most of us drive, and we know that you don't cross lines because you'll hit a car coming the other way. Uh, if you get to a stop sign, there's a line that you stop at. So this links in more ways than once. So you, can, you can guide people around, not only by the lines, 
by the, the pattern on the flooring. So you know, if you want them all to go left and you've got a the lines on the floor that all subtly, the pattern of the flooring goes left, they'll follow those lines. It's, it's how we're conditioned to, to behave. Okay, so let's imagine they're following those lines and they're going through the showroom and you want them to stop at these sets. What is the key things about POS in that kind of environment that you need? Because clearly what you don't want is big sort of flashy neon signs saying sale now on or whatever it is. The POS in these uh, areas tend to be sort of very information-led, telling you a bit about that worktop or a bit about that door. What stops people and gets them to read? Let's step back if I may, because too often, and this is a general retail criticism, is that people don't seem to understand the difference between window displays and in-store displays. Uh, the window display's job is to get you in the shop. Once you're in the shop, its job is done. So having the same message in the window and in the shop, to me, is always to start doing the same story. So, so you want to get people to stop in store. They're walking around, you've got them going left, and they walk along. There's things you can use which will stop people in their tracks. Bizarrely enough, a mirror is one. As a species, we're, we can't help being vain. So if we see a mirror, we will stop and look at ourselves briefly. So if you want people to slow down or stop, you put a mirror. If your shop is next to a bank, for example, you can put a mirror in your shop window and people will stop and slow down after rushing past the bank. There's lots of little things you can do. And if we go back to psychology, um, this, this is a simple one. We are, as I mentioned earlier, wired to look for five flight, find a mate. It's what we're wired to do. So we pay attention to our surroundings, looking for threats, meals and mates. And so one of the things we look at more than anything else, um, you can use in your sets are other humans. If you see another human being, your brain can't help but stop to see if it's a, f a friend or a foe. And so it'll look at that person, it'll stop and, and do some analysis very quickly, albeit in hundreds of seconds. And what it'll do, it'll focus on first, is it a human or is it a lion, which is something to run away from? Then it'll look specifically at the face, is it friend or foe? The eyes and mouth, is it friend or foe? They're the ones that give away friend or foe. So if you've got room sets with pictures of people in them it can be on the wall it can be uh, nicely done tastefully done. it will shop stoppers in their tracks remember we're, we're trying to do a process here see appeal engage and buy so the first bit is to stop people at your set that's the, the people uh then you want them to turn and go inside which we can do with some sort of subtle message to bring them in and take away any barriers on the floor like lines where you change the floor covering so if they're going from a, a lino floor in one direction on the main walkway, and they've got to cross a black line onto a different floor covering in the kitchen set, which is good, you want different floor coverings, then you need to make that crossing as seamless as possible so they don't have to feel they're crossing a barrier. There's lots of little things, but if you keep saying, you know, what are the barriers shoppers could face? A, coming to the door because the handle opens the wrong way, then going left or right because we don't want them to, then actually stopping at the set, then going into the, into the set. All these things we can look at with a marginal gains head on and say, what, what can I do here to make this a little bit easier for the brain of the shopper? And I promise you, there's always something you can do. And how about the lighting? Because obviously that's a way that you, people use to zone their showrooms a bit, is to have different areas lit in different ways. Does that create barriers too? Can do. Lighting is one of those things that's very important. You need to think, what does a kitchen look like lit in the home? It probably doesn't look anything like a car lit in a car showroom. And we know, for example, that paint companies have displays where you can press buttons to see that colour paint either in outside light, in direct sunlight, in intimate light indoors or bright light indoors. And so the, the sets need to look like they would in the home. And as a rule of thumb, they probably need to look slightly brighter and more appealing than the actual main walkway. And you, you can spend lots of money 
on, on lighting, like fortunes on lighting, but it, it all helps build the imagination and drive the ability of people to imagine that kitchen in their house. I and mean, we, we were doing some work on carpets research a long time ago, and the amount of shoppers that will take a carpet sample in the shop and hold it up outside in the light to the sun to see what colour it really is. And yet nobody puts a carpet outside in the house. This is what humans do. They're, they're trying to get a light in them, allows them to make an accurate judgment of what colour texture that kitchen actually is. So you sort of need to give them that. That leads me on, if I may, to it's not just about the visual. You know, we, we've got five senses. All able-bodied people have got five senses. And we use all these senses all the time to perceive our environment. So here's a few little examples to get people thinking. What's the sound in the showroom? What do shoppers hear? There was some research in the America where in some stores they played well-known music 5% slower than people are used to hearing it. Not a single shopper noticed that was slightly slower. 5% is not noticeable. However, when the music was playing slower, the shoppers themselves spent 12% longer and 18% more dollars in those stores. So our brains are hearing this stuff all the time. So what are they hearing in your showroom? Is it conducive to buying a kitchen or is it something that puts them off? Uh, just one other on sound. They played, you probably heard this one, they played French music in a wine store and 80% of the sales were then of French wine. When they switched to German music, 80% of the sales of wine were German and just the sound of the music. Smell. These are, I'm going to go all through all the senses and I'll, I'll, I'll take a breath. What does shoppers smell in your showroom? I mean, we, we did a piece of work where we pumped the smell of chocolate into a store and sales went up 30% and not a single shopper, we interviewed more than 100, said they smelled chocolate. So you know, we're smelling these things all the time and it's affecting our perception of the outside world and our propensity to buy a kitchen. Uh, even touch. Uh, if you remember, I, I mentioned carpets before. What, what you feel under feet directly impacts your perception of the quality of the, th the product in front of you. So what we did, we had a carpet display in a store and we put two layers of underlay under the carpet in front of that display. So when people stood in front of this display, it was softer underfoot than at any other display. And shoppers reported that that carpet on the display was much better quality. And over a measured six-week period, sales of that brand went up 150% in that store. All these things affect us. It's not just visual. It's smells, what we hear, everything. So what's, what's your showroom like from a multi-century perspective? And what, what is in there that's causing problems for shoppers buying kitchens? There we are. Take a breath now. So what you're saying is if you sell German kitchens, you want to sort of pump in the smell of bratwurst and have a sort of umpar band going on in the background. It hasn't got to be blasting your ears out umpar. It can be subtle in the background if you want to create a German ambience. But, you know, you may, you may be selling a French country kitchen. If you're selling a French country kitchen, I strongly recommend you don't play umpar music around that set. So a lot of these displays obviously are room sets and uh, a lot of them are working displays or the taps will work or the showers will work or they will have working hobs or that kind of thing. So how do you encourage sort of interaction with working things? People are very scared to touch things that look incredibly clean and pristine, I'm guessing. So how do you encourage that kind of interaction? Firstly, we're notorious in this country for needing permission to do things, not understanding where our permission ends. So if you look at department stores on the continent, for example, You'll have shoppers happily walking behind counters to browse products. They have no worry about borders. They just walk around where they want. In this country, we're not sure where we're allowed to go, what we're allowed to do. So you really do need to give shoppers permission to come closer, look inside, touch. In some showrooms, I remember years ago, there were messages on the 
integrated appliances and said, look inside. There's absolutely nothing in there, but it tells people to open the door and look, and they will. So these are all things we can do. And while talking about that, and we're talking about POS messaging, if you watch shoppers, they will open fridges, open ovens, open microwaves, and look inside. I don't actually know what they expect to see because there's nothing in there. The same with the soap drawer in a washing machine. They always open that. So give them something to look at. So you can, you can put a message in, it sounds bizarre, in a microwave oven saying, did you know there's 25% off this microwave? More people will see inside the microwave than next to the microwave because so many people go up to the microwave and open it. It's, it's understanding the shopper again and responding to what they're doing. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I suppose if you take that big Swedish store, for example, because they sell everything within that room set, when you open the drawers, it's full of cutlery. If you open the, the cupboards, they're full of pans. And of course, you can buy every single thing that's in that cupboard as well. And in fact, broadly speaking, they have a thing on the wall that tells you exactly how much, if you wanted to buy the entire thing, would cost you. And that kind of beginning to end of the journey element of this is quite clever, isn't it? It is. And there's two ways to look at this. And I remember doing another project some time ago again, where you have to strike a balance. Because if you prop your kitchens, some of the props will be stolen. It's a fact. In fact, pretty much anything you sell in a store that sells next, some of the products will be stolen. If you make it so nothing can be stolen, you also make it so not much will be bought. So you have to accept X percent will be stolen, but I'm going to optimize my sales. To use a kitchen example, because I, I strongly advise not using cheap and tacky props. Because what you're saying to shoppers then is this is the cheap and tacky kitchen. So you use expensive props. Yes, it's going to cost you more. And yes, people are going to steal them. But the people I worked with, they actually glued them down and bolted them down. Pans on work surfaces and uh, filled jars of storage jars of pasta, always filled. You've ruined the work surface, but you'll sell more kitchens that way. And people often get bogged down with, you know, I'm going to make sure nothing gets stolen. Oh, I can't sell anything. Or, you know, you just let people steal everything and nothing gets sold. So it's a balance you have to make. But the point I'm making very strongly is props need to be aspirational, just like the kitchen. You don't want to see some grotty, cheap plastic drainer on a £20,000 kitchen because it just devalues the whole kitchen. I mean, I know one retailer that had a sales increase. They actually went as far as printing and creating fake windows. So the windows had perspex. They had wooden beams across half open windows. And they had beautiful country views outside. These they stuck in the, the room set. And when the, when the windows were there, sales went up. Because, again, it was this aspirational, oh, that could be my house. I might live in a you know, two-up, two-down terrace in the middle of a city centre. But this aspirational country view makes the kitchen appeal more. Okay, so what is the balance then between having something incredibly aspirational, between having something look incredibly realistic like a normal kitchen would do with, I don't know, kids toys on the floor or some clothes in front of the washing machine or some fairy liquid on the sink and that kind of very fantastical element of having something that is just a wow thing that people could never possibly afford or have the bravery to actually put in their own house because it's just too extreme How, where do you strike that balance personally i think you ignore the extremes you can have the wow kitchen you know it's like the concept car at the motor show nobody's ever going to be able to buy it, it, it but it's it's the wow factor that's the kitchen. You're never going to sell any, but it, it makes a statement. Uh, and then the other end of the thing, you can have the, when it's gone, it's gone, dirty and cheap, horrible thing you don't want to sell. But if people insist on buying the cheapest thing that you've got advertised, then they can buy that. But all the real profit, the real sales, the real meaning comes from the stuff in between. And we know, for example, if you give shoppers pretty much any category, four choices, A, B, C, D, and if they're priced A is most expensive down to D, they'll ignore the edges, two on the outside and shop the middle. So you can almost use the 
wow factor kitchen that costs 50,000 to make the 30,000 pound kitchen look good value. I'll never sell any 50,000 pound, which probably won't. But it, it, it anchors people to 50,000 and they see 30,000. Well, that's quite good, 30,000. But if they see the 500 pound kitchen first, it makes the 5,000 pound kitchen look very expensive after it. It's, it's how we anchor our brains to numbers, I'm afraid. But it's about this idea of projecting yourself into living in that space, I suppose. A lot of these retailers, when you open the cupboards, they have uh, you know packets of food inside the cupboard. But it's usually packets of food that nobody ever actually buys, right? in my experience. So it's all the very expensive Italian pasta or, or that kind of thing. There's no Rice Krispies in there. You know, There's no packets of biscuits. If you opened the, the, a cupboard in somebody's normal kitchen, it'd be packed full of normal stuff that they bought from Tesco's. So wh- where does that projection begin uh, and end, and when does it become just pure aspiration as, as, as that's the lifestyle I wish I could have? Ooh, that's a big question. I think there are some brands you could use that would be aspirational. Part of it depends on where your store is. Let's use a couple of extremes, if I may. If the only supermarkets you've got in your town are Aldi and Lidl, and you put covers for the Waitrose, I'm not sure what that'll do because the brand values of Waitrose won't work in that town because people don't know Waitrose as well in that town. Having said that, as a neutral point of view, I'd say try and avoid any branding. So you can have, for example, jars of pasta, which is non-branded, in a clear jar so you can see the pasta. So that means the Aldi shopper in their brain will see Aldi pasta, the Waitrose shopper will see Waitrose pasta. It's pasta. So I, I would actually, where I could, take branding out of the products I put in the in the sets, uh, unless something does a specific thing. So, for example, you, I think you could put an empty but sealed bottle of Moet champagne in the fridge. But when it comes to provisions, I, I, I would just say stay neutral. Put the stuff people aspire to. I guess it's like when you see car ads. You know, even the most affordable family car, they always show it driving through mountains. <laughs> I think there's some statistic where so many of the car adverts are actually filmed in and around Cape Town in South Africa. I don't know why that is. Here's one for me. Anything can help with this after this, this podcast, I'd love to know. How do they get cars on adverts so shiny? Yeah. CGI, that's how. Oh, fair enough. Thank you for that. That's hard because that. <laughs> they're probably not real cars. Yeah, yeah it, it's not real, but it's the aspiration again. And cars are a great place to spend a minute, a couple of minutes. Car advertising. Every other advert on the TV is for a car. There's fairly good money in cars. They spend so much, as you say, on the scenery, the setting, creating the aspiration, the mood, the boy and the girl, the girl and the boy, whatever it is, and the right music, and the certain shots of the car. They're selling a dream. They're, they're selling a dream, which is actually metal and plastic. I think kitchens are very similar. You're selling a dream. But if you look at most car showrooms, dealerships, you know, the big dealerships, they're awful. As for selling a dream, they're just rubbish. They've got lines of cars, desks with white-shirted, mostly male people, no aspirational graphics apart from maybe one tatty car going up a rock somewhere. They just don't sell the dream in the showrooms. They sell it above the line and fail below the line. And that's going back to our kitchens, you know, your showroom is your advertising space. So make it aspirational, all of it, everything that the shopper can see. Yeah, it's such an interesting area, isn't it? Now, one of the things that is relatively new is attaching very broad messages to elements of your showroom when it comes to things like saving energy and sustainability. You know, these are all uh, uh, trigger points in people's brains at the moment that they are looking for, or are they? Should you be pushing forward the sustainability of things very overtly, or is that a subtle message that does actually work with people? Uh, that's an interesting one. Again, from our own research, we, we've researched what this is supermarket shoppers feel about recycling and sustainability and everything. And it's interesting. If the supermarket in question makes a big fuss about their green credentials, the shoppers 
think better of them because they won't do anything themselves, the shoppers, to be greener. But because they're shopping in that store, they think they're doing their bit because that store is doing something green. So there's a fine line here. And as a species, human beings, I've sort of slightly changed the subject, but staying on, on message. As a species, we, we feel guilty about making hedonic purchases. So that could be chocolate, wine, kitchens and cars. You know, we, we feel guilty. So when you're selling these products, you have to sort of get rid of a bit of the guilt to improve the conversion rates. One way to do that is to reference, you know, this is a, a low, low energy kitchen. This is a sustainably sourced kitchen. Because shoppers then feel less guilty, so they'll be less likely to walk away without buying. However, you can go too far. If you start stamping green credentials over everything, and you'll think, God, I can't buy another kitchen. Goodness me, I'm throwing away a perfectly good kitchen at home. I'm not doing that. So it needs to be subtle, but you just need to imagine you're just gently trying to reduce the guilt a shopper feels of spending a kitchen which has had some damage on the planet somewhere in, in manufacture. That's really interesting because I suppose it is whether or not it is a, something that drives sales, as in someone's going out to look for that very specifically, and of course some people will, or whether it is something that, as you say, offsets guilt. But it's a very interesting balance. It is. It, it is a balance. And if, if I was to sort of simplify and summarise it in, in these way, it's like the, fi- in my opinion, it's like the final sign-off. So, yes, it's oak. Yes, it's country style. Yes, it's got the appliances you want. Yes, it's £4,900 on a special offer. Oh, and it's sustainable. It's like the last tick. When they're, oh, shall we, shall we, shall we, shall we? Oh, why not? Yes, that's the last tick. It does that as well. I just want to sort of touch finally to draw this to a close on by switching this all back to the retailer themselves and how their psychology works with things a little bit because clearly these are working places, these showrooms. A lot of the time they, they work there on their own or they have one or two staff, they're quite small places, and therefore there are people always coming and going for deliveries, there's sort of paperwork everywhere. You know, how important is it to constantly keep in mind the, the idea of clutter and cleanliness and wobbly taps and to keep on top of these things is clearly important what does it say inside the consumer's mind well it, it it gives an instant perception of that that retailer and all their values so if it's cluttered scruffy untidy dirty they will think that that's what that store is these big retailers spend fortunes on making sure all the stores look the same they're all spotlessly clean where they can be Although most shoppers, for example, only ever go in their local supermarket, whatever one that is, they make sure they all look the same. As shoppers, we see this stuff and we, you know, we pick, as I said, multi-century. We smell this stuff, we hear this stuff, and it all alters our perception. So, you know, it needs to be as the shopper wants, as you want the shopper to see it. However, you can go too far with your pristine cleanliness in that, going back to what we discussed earlier, if it's everything's in the right place, everything's spotless and pristine, you don't want to touch or you don't even want to go in the showroom and then if you do you don't want to touch because oh am I, i'll make a mess can't do that so yeah there, there are the working parts of the store get that and there yes there are people coming to deliveries get that and shoppers can work around that they'll cope with that but i think when you're in that set if you can make that set a little microcosm of an area where i can imagine it being in my house without the disruption of a van driver or delivery driver whatever can i create Barriers between the sets so that you don't feel you're being watched and you can't see other people or other sets allows your brain to wander off in its imagination and imagine that set in your house. And is showroom blindness a thing for the actual retailer themselves? They're there every day, they see it every day, and in the end you end up not seeing it? Absolutely. And what you do see is all the wrong things because you're not a shopper, you're not a, you know, you're not a kitchen shopper, so you see it from an operational aspect probably. 
from an efficiency from your point of view, from whether that oven should be like that or da da da. What I tell people is if you're trying to understand your category and what shoppers see about and understand about your category, go and look at another category that's comparable. So in the case of kitchen showroom, I'd actually say, although I said they're rubbish, go and look at some car showrooms because you'll learn some stuff. Go and look at other areas where people are spending big money on stuff that's emotional to them. Wedding dress shops. If you look at other kitchen shops, you'll look at it as a kitchen shop salesperson, which you can't do. You need to go out and look at some other. I mean, it really is the aspirational stuff. Find other categories where people are known to do it really well and go and see what they do. Right, and that's a really interesting way to draw it to a close, I think. Step outside your own world yes, uh, and go and look at places that either do it well or do it badly, like car showmans, for example, and try and pick up and, and see what you can draw out of them as an experience to what you can then project onto your own business. Exactly, Andrew. So use the car show, great example. Go and try and buy a car and make a note of all the problems you face, then go back to your showroom and see how many of those problems you've actually created in your showroom. Yes, because I hate buying cars. I can't stand the experience. Funny enough, carpets and sofas are exactly the same thing. And it's just the most awful experience. And I, I just can't bring myself to do it. But when you do, you kind of think, oh, let's just get this over and done with. And you're thinking that before you've even got there. Yeah. And yet, for some reason, people are going to an Apple store where the products are several hundred pounds. And they, they all love the experience. They're doing something right. The common denominator, to finish off, the common denominator is the shopper, not the shop. So if we understand what the shopper wants from an Apple store, let's say, can we bring some of that into our showroom? Well, look, I could talk about this all day, Philip, as could you, I'm sure. But this is such a very relevant and interesting area that we will come and revisit this again at some point, I think. But look, Philip, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely fascinating as always. Thank you. My pleasure, Andrew. Speak again soon. That was Philip Adcock. And how interesting was that? Such great little prods and nudges that can all add up to the positive results you want. Just brilliant. Don't forget to book your seats at the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards in Liverpool on September the 15th. Go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards to find out all you need to know. I'll see you there, but you'll hear me on here next week.